Hi, I'm Arva. I'm Gracie. And I'm Yaritza. And I'm Casey. <laughs> and you're watching SLPs in a Podcast, episode eight. So we have a very special guest. Casey Lewis is a NICU SLP. Can you tell us about yourself a little bit? Sure. My name is Casey Lewis. I live in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. I'm a speech pathologist. I completed my undergraduate studies at the University of Texas at Austin, where I got a Bachelor of Arts in Government and a Bachelor of Science in Communication Sciences and Disorders. And then I got my master's degree in speech pathology from the University of North Texas in Denton, Texas. And obviously, University of Texas at Austin is in Austin, which I love Austin. Um, I am a certified neonatal therapist. I'm an endoscopist. I am a neonatal developmental care specialist. I specialize in dysphagia and I specialize in infant development. So I feel like my brain is always going for sure. I feel like I have a, a lot to learn still and I think I always want to keep that trait about me. But I also am really passionate about teaching and spreading knowledge, which is why I started my Instagram page. I didn't really have any plans with what it would bring, but it's been fun. <laughs> That's great. And you're part of the Med SLP Collective as well, right? With Teresa Richards? Yes. Teresa is a wonderful person. She's done so much for our field and she has brought so many of us together. So I respect her so much. Well, because you are on this mission to educate, we actually have a few viewers who need your expertise. So some questions were sent in. Um, the first one is about your uh, neonatal therapy certification. So can you explain to us the process and any prerequisites that you needed before becoming um, the certified neonatal therapist? Yep. So you have to have at least 3,500 hours in the NICU or the NICU and up to 1,000 of those hours can be serviced um, to infants up to three months of age, I believe. And um, I could be incorrect on that, but I believe they recently changed to a thousand hours, could be serving um, like follow-up clinics for NICU grads. Um, 40 hours of NICU CEUs within three years, which is that's pretty, I feel like that's pretty easy to obtain because you gotta, you've got to keep learning. And then 40 hours of mentored experience. So that has to be documented. Um, essentially a work week of mentor experience, but it doesn't obviously have to be done in all in a week, and then a passing score on a national board exam. Wow. Hey, there's a lot more involved than I thought. Hey, how long does that process take? It depends on the individual. Um, if you're full-time or if you're part-time getting your hours, it could take much longer, obviously, if you're part-time or PRN. Um, but if you're full-time, it doesn't take quite as long. How long did it take you? <laughs> or want to say two and a half years, something like that. Um, but I was fully dedicated to it. I, it was a goal. I wanted to um, accomplish it and, you know, keep growing and keep furthering my education. So kind of when I set my mind to something, I'm going to finish it and get it done. I don't, and no judgment, by the way, to anyone that has to break it up in pieces. That's called life. Um, I just got lucky that I could get it all done at once. <laughs> Well, you certainly seem like a good fit for it. Yeah. Um, bringing you. us to our next question. What led you to become a certified neonatal therapist? Yeah, so I'm not sure if I ever thought that I would be the, 
a special this kind of specialist in the NICU in grad school. I was always very passionate about it. I kind of didn't know why, but I was always interested in the medical complexity of it, but also the developmental side of it, the counseling side of it. Um, so it's kind of the best of both worlds to me. Um, and I don't know, some of you guys probably know my story, but um, when I was working in the NICU of my first or second year, my sister had a full-term stillborn and that really shook me and broke me um, really deeply. And the way I coped with it was just diving into science and diving into my education. And I wanted to be an expert to help improve the, the lives of families and babies. And then my sister delivered premature twins at 32 weeks the next year. So I got to be an advocate for them. And that was fun for me um, because I felt like I, I was the expert. I knew what I was doing. And actually a week before they were born is when I passed my board exam for the certified neonatal therapist um, certification. So it all kind of worked out. Life is funny like that. <laughs> How lucky are those kids? Yeah. Their aunt was the expert. Yeah, I know. I try to tell my sister that, but you know, I'm still, the, I'm still the little sister. I'm the youngest of four. So yeah, I, she, she listened to me, but you know, I'm still the little sister. <laughs> I admire that, that that's something that kind of drove your like passion for your neonatal certification. And it's amazing because I think in grad school, we don't always get as much education on it as much as I would love to know. Um, there's just so much to teach, and I know it's hard. It depends on the program, but um, that's, re that's really amazing. Well, thank you. I think the other problem with that is that there's not many, there's not a huge number of people that specialize in the NICU. Um, so that is probably why the educational side in grad school is a little limited. I won't say a little. It is limited in grad school, depending obviously on your program. But it is growing. It's becoming much more... Um, popular, the NICU. I feel like it's a dream world for a lot of therapists. Um, I'm also very passionate about making sure that you have the education before you get into the NICU because you're serving fragile infants. And also, the NICU is a very political environment. You have to kind of know how to navigate people. Um, it's, I was the only therapist um, amongst a team of nurses and neonatologists, neonatal nurse practitioners. So you have to learn how to stand your ground and be confident in what you know and what you're saying because it is kind of isolating at times. I think we have heard a little bit about that, how difficult it can be to navigate the different professionals in the NICU mm -hmm. and how to be on the same page as well. I don't know as much, but I have heard a little bit about it. It, it is definitely rough in the beginning for um, most people, especially if it you don't, you're not entering an established program. I was um, the eighth therapist in 10 years to go through the NICU that I have served. And I feel like that kind of says something that these therapists, they just couldn't say. Um, it might've been too much for them, or maybe someone got married and moved away. And I'm sure there was some life mixed into those decisions. Um, but yeah, I, I'm really proud of the program that I've helped to establish. And if I ever do leave it, it's in good hands, and that was always my goal. If I ever do, you know, I don't know what life's going to bring me, but if I ever do ever have to leave this NICU, which that would break my heart, um, that was always my goal going in, is I wanted to make it better for the next 
happen. That's so kind. <laughs> that is so wonderful and very selfless. Oh. You know, I, it's just. Well, I had a hard time. About our so. profession. I think everyone goes into it for the right reasons. Yeah, I hope so. I think so too. I know so. What resources have really been helpful for you in terms of educating parents and even educating someone who's not, I'm not a NICU therapist, but I, you know, would love to know more just for my own knowledge. Like what are some resources that um, you refer to that we could look up? Um, just kind of summarizing what we need to know. Sure. Well, I um, joined the National Association of Neonatal Therapists, NANT. Um, I'm not sure how much it costs at this point. There are some free resources on um, that website. So that's kind of where I started. I, I honestly created a ton of my own. Um, there, weren't, there weren't a ton out there for me. And I, I was like, well, I've got to figure, it, figure this out and I've got to bridge the gap. Um, so yeah, I did create a lot of my own, but Nant was the foundation for the resources that I had. And I've mentioned, I think I've mentioned this um, maybe on my Instagram, but I did complete their um, Ignite, it's their mentorship program. And I can't remember how long that is now, but it's like six to 12 months. And it consists of phone calls and online learning. And you're kind of in this group of people who are all trying to navigate the NICU environment. And thank goodness for that. I asked so many questions on those phone calls. Like they're like, and Casey has another question. But I feel like when I, like I said earlier, when I'm in something, when I pay for something, I'm all in. Um, because if I go into something halfway, that's, that's, not, that's not good. Um, so yeah, I am that girl for sure. For sharing. I definitely want to learn more and you know, just be knowledgeable because um, I can also relate to you. My sister's having twins. She's pregnant. Oh, fun. So um, we're expecting it's going to be a premature um, delivery because she probably won't be able to deliver full term. Sure. So something for me and for my life, I would love to learn more. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, that's a great resource, especially since you're also working in the schools. Um, a lot of your students that you serve, or I don't want to say a lot, but some of your students that you serve are probably NICU grads, and it'll help you understand kind of where they came from. What are some of the advantages of being a mobile fees owner, and how did that come about? I started my career in the skilled nursing facilities. Um, so I've been a speech pathologist um, a little over six years now, and I... Uh, most of my background, initial background, was with adults, and um, my brother also has special needs, and he has autism, and he's nonverbal, and I learned that he had some complications at birth, um, and so that was kind of another reason why I was interested in the NICU, but yes, so I served adults in the skilled nursing setting, and most of them obviously had swallowing difficulties due to the population, and I was dissatisfied with the instrumentals that I was receiving. And, you know, when you know better, you do better. I'm not here to bash anyone or any company that's not healthy or kind. Um, but obviously science has evolved within six years as well. But I wanted to try to change things for people. And, you know, I actually told someone this today, you know, I didn't create this business to be a billionaire. No, that's not, <laughs> that's, you know, money is 
part of life and you have to have it to pay your bills and you have to have it to travel and, and grow and do things. But I truly did it because there, I saw a gap in my community and I wanted to help improve people's life. Can you tell us a little bit about the advantages of being a mobile fees owner? Yeah, so I mean, I think that question ties into just being a private practice owner. It's really just being having a private practice. The advantages are, you know, you're independent, you get to make your own decisions, you get to set your own schedule, you get to kind of set protocols, and you're not working under anyone. So that is the wonderful part of it because I am very independent, but I also like the team environment. So it's, <laughs> I'm always conflicted because I love, I love both sides, but um, yeah, I mean, the pros of it are that you are, you're, you're driving it. You get to see where it goes and it's your baby and it's your dream and you get to push it to grow as much as you want. You don't fall into any businesses or corporations confinement because working in corporate healthcare, there are boundaries of how much you can grow unless you're in a leadership role. If you do work in the hospital, there are definitely kind of, obviously a chain of command and boundaries for you are a staff therapist, you are in leadership, um, you are a CEO, you know, so on. But so in the NICU, I'm a staff therapist. And nothing's wrong with that. It's wonderful, it's beautiful. Um, but that's also why I wanted to create my own business to satisfy that, that need that I wanted to grow something of my own. We actually all were able to take the Langmore Intro to Fees course in grad school. Wow, and, you're lucky. Yeah, and we passed we scopes. Were... So oh, it was okay, so much girl. fun. <laughs> you rock star over there. Oh, y'all all did it. Not yes. just you. I forgot. Y'all all went to school together. All of y'all. Yeah. We loved it. I absolutely adored it. And I want to be able to own a mobile fees company in the future. In comparison to an MBS, even though they shouldn't be pitted against one another, I definitely prefer fees. Um, so I want to know, like, what can I do to get to that point in the future? Okay. Well, I love your, your goals. You sound like little baby Casey, but you're not little, <laughs> but you sound like okay. me six years ago. Um, and I love that you keep having your dreams and goals because remember, you can always do whatever you want in this life. Um, you just have to put in the work, but you are going to do a lot of continuing education and don't see that as a bad thing. I always say grad school is just the foundation of your education. I never would have thought that before I went to grad school, ever, um, but I'm always taking CEUs. I never want to know everything. I never want to get to that point in my career. Um, but obviously continuing education, you're gonna have to find a mentor um, in your area, or you know, what I did is I traveled to do my competency passes, and that, does cost money. You have to pay someone to train you. Obviously, it's their time and their time is valuable. Um, and so starting the business side is a whole different thing, <laughs> which that was hard. You know, if, if someone works in the therapy world or just healthcare, and then you start a business, it's like a whole different component of your career. So I've definitely had to learn, had, had to learn and evolve through that process. But New York's a very populated state of speech pathologists and pretty good one. Now New York has a lot of pretty great speech pathologists. Um, so I'm sure you can find a mentor very easily. The field is so vast that you can go into so many different areas. So it's great for you to give us insight on that, especially for our listeners who are also interested in. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the mobile fees thing is a really, it's been a kind of a hot topic 
Facebook for a while now. If you're passionate about it, do it. But I encourage you to find what you are truly passionate about in this field. Um, not if it's fees, if it's apraxia, if it's articulation, um, and go with it. And, you know, for me, I didn't really know for a while. I'm like, I love everything or that overwhelms me and I need to learn more. And I think you, it's important to give yourself time to grow. And if you already know what that passion is, go for it, but give yourself time to grow and find what you really love, find what you're really good at and be an expert in it. Are you seeing adults? Um, so I'm doing my mobile fees business about three days a week right now. And I do the NICU about three to four days a week. So I'm working six to seven days a week right now. <laughs> and that's by choice. Um, I just don't want to leave the, the NICU yet. Um, and I don't know if I ever really will. That's like such a like personal conflict <laughs> for me. Um, but yeah, and I, I was saying, I was telling you guys before I hopped on, like I'm definitely in hustling and it takes a lot of grit to achieve your dreams and goals. And, you know, sometimes people think people are handed things in life and maybe some people are, but I wasn't. I worked in skilled nursing. I worked in home health. I worked in acute care. I worked in inpatient rehab. I worked in the NICU and I did a year in a public school system. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've done just about every setting besides like an ENT clinic, which that would be a dream. And I'm hopefully, I would love to contract that with an ENT clinic. So I'm going to switch gears now. I want to know what your day-to-day -day looks like in the NICU. Okay, so I, I, so I get out of my car and go walk <laughs> in. Um, I'm thinking about like literally what I do. I I um, walk into the NICU, I go to the second floor, and I have a badge to get in, and then I go scrub in. You have to surgical scrub in our NICU, and you put your phone in, you wipe your phone with like a Clorox wipe, um, and put it in a plastic bag, because research has shown that our cell phones have more germs than a toilet seat. Um, so we wash our cell phones. And then I work at a community-based hospital, so the NICU isn't like 100 beds. So I have a, it's easier, I think the most, we, well, we have an overflow. I, the most we probably would do is like 20, 22 um, in the overflow unit. So I am able to kind of track everyone a little bit easier. Now people in larger hospitals would have to have another therapist to cover. Um, but for like the babies that are in the isolates, which are also called incubators, but I don't call them that, I call them isolates. Um, I do two-person cares. So that means doing the cares with the nurse. So in the NICU, there are touch times. Um, typically they're 8, 8.39 and every three hours after that. So it'd be 8, 8.39, um, 11, 11.30, 12, and so on. But some babies are every six hours secondary to needing men's stem. You don't want to touch them. So when I do two-person cares, I'm making sure that I'm trying to offer neuro, neuroprotective care, um, which means helping the baby calm and helping the baby regulate and um, 
well, the nurse mainly does the diaper or the temperature because these babies are at a very, very high risk for brain bleeds, um, depending on their gestational age when they're born, also their birth weight. So, and I always think of these cares as pre-feeding. Um, so that's how I view it. Um, how is the mouth being approached? How are we offering a pacifier? How are we doing oral care? And that sets the foundation for the success and quality of how baby would take the breast or the bottle. Um, and so after that, there are some babies that are in the isolate that are on maybe on a nasal cannula, which is a lower flow nasal cannula. And I'll start just holding them or holding them um, with a pacifier and then holding them with a pacifier and doing dip to the breast milk. And then after that, progress to a bottle. Um, and then after that, that kind of set of population, there's the population called feeder growers, which they are either taking the breast or the bottle. And typically the babies in the NICU have to take a bottle to graduate. Um, so they're working on completing PO, completing their bottles to get home. Yeah. Wow. That's my dream right there. <laughs> warmed my heart. I know. It is fun. It is rewarding. Now that like, I, I mean, I love my team or not my team. I love the NICU team. Um, we're all, we're all friends. I feel like we're a family. I would have never said that when I first started, I had zero friends. Um, it was really hard to get the respect. Um, but I mean, I feel safe there. I feel like I'm respected number one and that they seek me out for my opinion and that I am truly a part of the team. So, yes. That's great. And I love the way that you've kind of evolved since you first started in the NICU, that you've become more of an advocate for yourself and not only for your patients. So that's amazing. Thank you. That means a lot. Yeah, I have, I have grown a lot. Thank, thank the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> that's a um, Southern thing, by the way. <laughs> Do you have any particular pediatric feeding case that has like left a mark on you or that you will always remember? Yeah, I actually have quite a few, but I think um, I think of the babies that I had in the early on in my career where I was trying to help. They're very chronic, meaning that like they were born at 23 weeks or 24 weeks and on chronic respiratory support for a very long time. And I was trying, I start the, started the process of what I mentioned earlier with the therapeutic steps to getting to bottle feeding um, and had a goal, like, I do not want them to go home with a G-tube. Please, like, let's try your hardest, Casey. And obviously I try my hardest with every baby and it's not my fault if they don't, I have to remind myself, it's not your fault if they go home with a G-tube um, and it's probably better for them. But I can remember the first baby that I applied those therapeutic strategies with and it, it worked. And it was just like, wow, I do know what I'm doing. I am the expert. Um, the, and this is not to discredit any therapist or the therapist that came before me, but they didn't operate on the model that I did. Um, and a lot of it I kind of created on my own. A lot of it obviously is evidence-based, but you kind of create your own routine and regardless of where you work, kind of how you're going to operate. Um, but yeah, I can remember that baby and I did the therapeutic whole, I did two person cares. I taught mom and dad how to do oral care. I taught mom and dad how to offer the pacifier. I helped mom and dad transfer for skin to skin. There's this, that's when, um, babies on mom or dad's bare chest. Um, 
I did therapeutic holding, therapeutic sucking on a pacifier during the nasogastric tube feedings, and then therapeutic dips of breast milk um, during the NG tube feedings, and then trialing the bottle. And that's in those steps. And, um, and then baby went home without a G tube, and it just kind of like rocked my world and it was like really gave me a boost of confidence and actually a boost of confidence with the team because they were like, wow, like she does know what she's doing and it works. So how has COVID-19 changed that process and that uh, parent training and like how you do things in the NICU? It hasn't changed anything. Um, I, we, I'm the same therapist I was six months ago, obviously I've maybe a bit more patient. I think you have to be patient to work in the NICU, but COVID has made every, you know, you have to be patient. But in regards to parent training, what has changed is that there can only be one parent at the bedside instead of two for infection control, which I think is very understandable. It's also very unfortunate, um, but some NICUs across the country don't are not allowing any parents. And, um, so that's the only thing that has changed. Other than that, it's all family-centered care and trying to help them get to know their baby as much as possible. Um, underneath an N95 and a face shield and the sounds are muffled. You know, when I'm talking, that's also changed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hearing you talk about your experience has just been like so eye-opening for me. And I think it's the same for Gracie and Yaritza. Um, it's really motivating. You're motivating me to like, take the time to like go read another 10 articles or something just because I feel like I want to learn more and I just think that's amazing so yeah like my nurse friends at work even um just a few days ago they're like Casey do you go home and do CEUs and I was like yeah I do <laughs> um but like I I don't think I could ever say I was an expert in the in the field if I didn't do those things um like you have to put in the work to get that credit but yeah, that's me for sure. <laughs> um, and this last question I have stemmed from something you posted on Instagram recently. Um, you talked about palliative care, pediatric palliative care. And we were fortunate enough to have an SLP who works in a, on a palliative care team come to our class and have a presentation. And I remember being so moved by her presentation, but I want to know more about your perspective on it and mm -hmm. that case itself, if you can talk about it a little bit. Yeah, so I'm, I'm very kind of, I'm kind of sensitive to the topics that, you know, being on the other end, like I said, with my nephew, Max, um, who was an intrauterine death, which means a stillborn. Um, so I, I'm passionate about it because I, although it wasn't my baby, it, it was my sister's baby and my family's very close. I don't want to say it, Max, uh, he has a name. Um, and so I experienced it from that end. You know, we all had time with him. We all, they had a room. It was a different hospital than where I work. They had a room that um, was dedicated by a family who had lost a baby. Um, and there is a crib in there and there is a rocking chair in there. Um, and it sounds crazy, but I mean, they give you time to hold the baby. They give you time to, you know, like, be with the baby as much as you can. Um, so in terms of the palliative care team in the NICU, I'm not, I'm not um, like the director on that team or the team lead, it's nursing. Um, and I, 
and but I think therapy should definitely have a role. Um, but that happened on a Sunday, and I work Sundays in the NICU right now. Um, and um, it was in with withdrawal of care. Um, like the baby was very ill, and um, you know it just takes some time for the families to understand that and get to that um, point where you have to decide if you're going to withdraw care or not. And then the parents are given time to hold their baby and off because the baby could be intubated. So like they have to extubate the baby and the baby can be in mom and dad's arms and you follow cultural norms. I mean, some baby families want to have a priests come in or some families want to bathe their baby. Um, so you want to make sure like that's executed and planned out prior to all of this happening with the family. Like what do they want and how do they, um, how do they cope with end of life um, events? And I hope that didn't sound morbid, but I mean, you asked palliative care, it's, it's end of life and um, there is beauty in it though. It is like a beautiful experience as well as as odd as that sounds. Um, it just reminds you that we're all human beings and um, especially in the medical field. I mean, you are, you are there to help human life and you're there for the good times and the bad times. So. And I mean, as heartbreaking as that can be sometimes to hear, I, I think it, it felt really good to hear how justified the lives are at your yeah. hospital. Like, you know, everybody, parents, even the child, it, I don't know, that just felt very human and personal. And that was really nice. Thank you. Aww, for thank you. Yeah. And, and I think the words flow freely from my mouth just because I've experienced it on my own and not again, not my own child, but I coped with it. I've gone through the grief cycle with it on my own. So I can place myself in the shoes of the family a little bit better. So as much as the situations I've gone through have, you know, broken me to my core, they've also helped me to be a better therapist and to be a better caregiver and to be a better human and to understand what people are going through because life is hard, but it's also wonderful. <laughs> Let's end like on a good note because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not that that wasn't a good note, but I mean, healthcare is, you know, ups and downs. Um, Do you have a favorite graduate? Let's just switch to the other side. Do you have like... Uh, a favorite graduate from like, the like a recent graduate that just left and you're super happy right now so I don't have like a recent graduate right now but um you know I don't just do the NICU and I think I've expressed that and I think that it helps me balance out my skill set and balance out my well-being um because you know I tell people like the NICU is not just this place of teddy bears and um, warm blankets like it is in ICU um and then the mobile fees help me balance it out but um well thank you so much again for your insight and sharing with us and our listeners a little bit about your life and your cases and what you go through we're very very honored to have you so thank mm -hmm. you so much thank you so much so um for our listeners where can they reach you or find you online sure my instagram is casey c-a-s-e-y lewis l-e-w-i-s underscore s-l-p and that's, I, I answer there better than any other location. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Yes. So 
for our listeners, please tune in next week for our next episode. We'll be announcing it shortly on our Instagram, SLPs in a podcast. Um, and be sure to follow us everywhere else. So you got Arvati SLP, Gracie Z SLP, and Yuritza SLP. As well as you can listen to us now on Spotify, iTunes, and of course, you can watch us on YouTube. <laughs>